0: Hello, Gracefully Chosen Community, and welcome to Foster My Stories, the achievement-focused podcast for foster care, adoption, orphan, inclusive of underserved communities. I'm your host, Shalina Michelle Tate, and on today's cast episode, I would like for you to get to know the October special guest, Dr. June P. Murray. How are you doing, Dr. June? appreciate you coming on and especially your time. I'm super excited to introduce you to listeners. So as you know, Foster My Stories really caters to everyone, but with a uh, special soft place for the adoption, orphan, foster care, and underserved communities, I'm excited to interview Dr. Murray because her background And her testimony really relates to your communities. But before we get into the dynamics of uh, what she's done in her career and what she's doing now, I would love for Dr. Murray to basically kind of give you a snapshot of her upbringing and her past. The first thing I'd like to make very clear is when I refer to my mother or my father, I'm
1: referring to the two wonderful Adoption. Prior to my birth, I was born. Her father was maybe from Nevis or Barbados, the Caribbean. Yes. long-term relationship with a man who is my birth father. But more importantly, her family would never tolerate her bringing home a black man as a boyfriend or a black baby as her child. She knew that my mother was married to an African-American. And so she thought perhaps, and they had not had any children at that point, that perhaps they would be interested in adopting. And it just so happened that my parents had already looked into the possibility of adopting. And there was another branch of the family that had adopted a baby. So they spoke with them. That would be my father's uncle and his wife. You know, they encouraged my parents to adopt, and so, you know, they made arrangements with my birth mother that they would cover all medical expenses, all legal fees, you know, pursue the adoption. And so that is what happened, and I was born in June. In fact, I was born on Father's Day, and that's why my first name is June. Six weeks after my birth, the adoption was finalized by the state of Connecticut. But interestingly, it was the last private adoption in the state of Connecticut for about 33 years. We don't know why.
0: Wow. But that's a fact. Wow. Yes, listeners, I'm listening like you to Dr. Murray's testimony about her upbringing. And that's amazing to hear because I've ran into quite a number of people who have almost similar testimonies of I guess whether adoption or foster or really their upbringing being asked certain questions about well I'm gonna let you tell it Dr. Murray but you know you started to grow up and you're with your adoptive parents when was the moment for you that you started kind of questioning stuff? Stuff you mean like about me being adopted? Yes ma'am. okay
1: who formed the village for which i grew up and my sister who came along five years later was not a dog they guided my parents they were older older than my mother because my father was 15 years older than my mother so these were his friends because he grew up in new haven whereas my mother came from another little town in massachusetts they told both of them that i should be told starting day one that I was adopted and so that is exactly what they did of course I had no idea what in the world they were talking about yes and you know so we went along that way for about four and a half years of my life and then my mother became pregnant and so the same village members started suggesting that they start preparing me for having a younger sibling At
0: that point, I was the absolute apple of everybody's eyes, the only little child in the village at that time, because as I
1: said, my parents' friends were older, their children had grown up, gone off to college or the military, and so, I mean, I got a tremendous amount of attention and love and care and guidance, and so... They felt like this was going to be a big shift for me to have another baby in the family. So they stopped mentioning that I was adopted and only would for me for this sibling. Well, I was looking forward to having a baby brother or sister. I didn't expect to have any major shift for me because I was concerned. I had everybody in the palm of my little hand anyway. So <laughs> why would that change? Yes. You know, spend, I mean, I was too little to understand any kind of changes. Yes.
0: But unfortunately, there was a mistake
1: made. My parents allowed me to go with a person that they hardly knew to her home state, which was Alabama, to visit while they expected my mother would be in the hospital giving birth to my sibling. Well, that did not work out so well. It was a rather traumatic experience for me. Mm. It was supposed to be two weeks. It lasted six. Oh, wow. I really don't have time to go into all of what happened. But yeah, when no I came back, they just felt, and the village agreed, this was not the time to start saying, oh, yeah, by the way, you were also adopted. Here's your baby sister, and oh, yeah. They didn't say yes. anything adopted, and I had no questions. It never occurred to me. I knew nothing really about the fact that I was adopted. Okay. My concern was the trauma that I experienced in Alabama. Okay. And so, gradually, they decided at eight years old to allow me the comfort of a child psychologist. Yale New Haven Medical Center provided wonderful treatment and encouragement and gradually over a six-month period presented to me the fact that I was adopted. I learned that when I turned nine years old. The doctor said, you know, she knows the facts now, but she's not ready to accept it. So from nine until 13, I went back and forth in my mind about whether or not it was true. I didn't want it to be true, and then sometimes I wanted it to be true. If my parents annoyed me, I would say to myself, yeah, well, that's okay, because you were adopted anyway. If my sister annoyed me, definitely thought, well, see, we don't even share blood. The bottom line was I had a wonderful life, loving, doting parents, a sister who adored me, I mean, tremendously. And um, finally, I just realized that it was true. And there was a little newspaper clipping that my sister came upon that announced the adoption that had to be in the newspaper at the time I was born. And so from that point on, my parents surrounded me with their love as well as the rest of the village members.
0: question earlier in your testimony how you had treatment did they give you treatment because of coping with the truth of adoption or that was just something else okay
1: Okay. and it was a rural farm in yes. Alabama Well, I was a city child in New Haven, Connecticut yes. so this was horrifying oh. and it took a while for yes. me to recover I had been a very outgoing, friendly happy-go-lucky little girl, that yes. came Okay. on top
0: of this, you know, horrible, uh, traumatic experience. Yes, ma'am. And I definitely apologize about those experiences, but I'm assuming, am I saying this right, Dr. Murray, that your experiences kind of helped mold you into the leader that you are now? Did that encourage you to go into the studies that you went into or what was that trigger for you because now like I see here well listeners the adorable little girl that she is on the cover of the book she's referring to is called what are you I'm gonna let her go more into that a little bit later what was some turning points for you to possibly decide you know what I want to learn more about this or potentially go into a career dealing with this what was those turning points for you a lot of people-
1: or when did I decide to become a mental health professional mm-hmm. a psychotherapist. And I have to say
0: that I really felt like it was divine intervention, yes. quite frankly. Yes, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, all of my life,
1: beginning when I was maybe three years old, there were signs that I either was psychic or had strong ESP or something. I yeah. would see things, <laughs> know things yes. that I shouldn't have been able to know. Okay speak about it as a little teeny little girl I didn't even know that it was unusual or that I shouldn't have been knowing some of these things and as my parents in my village would hear me refer to things that they knew for a fact that I couldn't possibly have known about they began to see you know it was sort of like they talk about me around me over my head oh yeah yeah uh, uh oh know, this one here is probably a healer. Oh, so, yes. Okay. so, you know, a lot of things happen in my life. Yes. I started college, dropped out, got married, had two children, yes. got divorced, moved okay. to New York City, was working, and then finally I realized I needed to go back to college. Okay. I did that. I went to SUNY o. Westbury, um, hmm. Long Island, and when I was about to graduate, my daughter still had two more years of high school at a fabulous private school okay. in Manhattan called the Braley School, okay. and I did not want to to relocate her, but I had been accepted into a Ph.D. program in California. Yes, yes. Well, I decided to stay in New York while she finished high school. Okay. But that meant that my student loans would be due. So somebody, okay. and I don't know who it was, okay. suggested that I go and get an MSW in clinical social work. Yes, and they yes. told me that. I had been a psychology major, but as an undergrad,
0: you don't do therapy, you you're know, not taking classes in therapy. You yeah. <laughs>
1: it than I do. Well, I did do that. I yeah. did apply, and I was accepted at yes. seven leading universities around the wow. New York area, and I chose to go to Columbia University. Okay. And from that point on, I had been doing therapy. Well, I'll just tell you this one little piece. I had the opportunity to teach at the University of Ghana in wow. Ghana, West Africa, wow. and I met wonderful scholars. Wow. a natural healer wow.
0: and natural <laughs> and that's what I've done wow. all my adult life. Oh, my so. goodness. There's, what Dr. Murray is referring to is really a divine intervention, like she said. So a lot of times us individually, when we come to that individually, points in our lives when we, I, why am I here? What's my purpose? And then when we start to dig for that divine understanding that only God can give, then we discover Our giftings as unto his glory, what we're supposed to be doing in a lot of times our past and experiences connects us to that. But it seems that um, Dr. Murray has basically been told that all her life. You kept saying how people kept saying you're a healer and basically got confirmed. That's amazing that you had the opportunity to teach in Ghana. It basically, was confirmed everywhere you went and then reaffirmed there. Thank you for being so transparent because I was going to ask you about just your time with social work. I think that's amazing and how that started for you. How was your time dealing with clinical social work?
1: Even though it was contested by white students, uh, announced to the faculty that all black students voted in a block, and that's how come I got elected and they wanted to challenge it. Fortunately, they failed. So on graduation day, I was the only student allowed to speak and I said then and I still maintain this that under all of the other degrees and I felt that I knew I was going to go on to earn I would always be a social worker oh, and yes. I have lived up to that definition of myself I care about people and the situation yes. social workers are trained to see the bigger picture and not just the individual and we look at the circumstance and context of anybody's life in order to figure out how we can help them help themselves it's been wonderful I always had a private practice which I focused on African American and other people of color as clients I had a a sliding scale because I didn't want anyone not to be able to receive the benefit of my skill and I worked at agencies part-time all throughout my career as a college professor and administrator I always had one foot in the community doing therapy and one foot on, you know, the campus. And so it enabled me to teach my students probably more directly about what's really going on out there. And I've also been very, very politically active as a social activist and social change agent. So my education, who I am as a person, all came together and, you know, I'm done the best I can
0: yes and listeners Dr. Murray has been so humble, certified and so much you're a first responder emergency a preparation specialist incident debriefer and okay. a certified diversity trainer tell us about really helping the people right where they are unlearn their biases so I mentioned that
1: as I was graduating from undergraduate school I had already been accepted at the University of California Santa Cruz okay. in the social psychology department yes. but they allowed me my admission because wanted, you know, as I explained, I wanted to stay in New York until my daughter was finished high school. I had fellowships too. That was another thing. I didn't really understand that at the time, but later I began to realize. I had a great deal of money that would be coming into the university. I had the Whitney M. Young Wow. Whitney Young was president of the National Urban League at one time yes. before he died. I had the Danforth Fellowship, and I had the American Psychological Association Fellowship okay. for graduate
0: studies. Yes. So I moved to California, but I immediately ran into conflicts with my faculty.
1: You'll mm. love this, Shalina. <laughs> they asked me, do you want to do for your dissertation and I said, I want to look at the effects of racism on black families across several generations. wow Told me, No, no, you can't do that oh, because wow. first of all, this was nineteen eighty two. First of wow. all we got racism all, you know, resolved
0: in the sixties, so there's no more racism. Oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. And
1: then they told me, you know, well, um oh, no. and anyway there's no faculty here that are
0: interested. You'd have to have a faculty member to work with you, yeah of course.
1: No one would. Well, they didn't know who they were talking to. Oh, no. You know, I, I just looked at them and I thought, well, first of all, I don't think I'm going to stay here. But secondly, yes. I had already identified two faculty members in the sociology department. Yes. And I also had learned that faculty in sociology can guide students in the social psychology department. Wow. That had already been established on that campus. So, you know, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, you know, this, yeah. And those two professors. Are very famous, Hardy Fry okay. and also J. Herman Blake and so, you know, yes. I had them behind me and I'm like, okay, these, yes. you know, this is not going to work so I left there that first summer, you asked about diversity that very first summer I met the woman who had started a diversity training, like a little school okay. and I enrolled in it because I had nothing to do all that summer I got there at the beginning of June classes didn't start until the end of August okay. and so, that's where I got to be a diversity trainer. And I thought it was a great idea at the time. Okay. I really did and still do believe in people's ability to change. Okay. But what I didn't understand, understand fully now, is that people have to want to change.
0: Yes. Uh, no matter what
1: we're talking about, whether it's yes. their biases or substance abuse yes. or mental health issues, you've got to decide that you don't like where you are. Yes. And Yeah. they hold very steadfastly to their biases yes sometimes in my clinical practice, but those folks are yes. meeting with
0: me because they want to make some change. Yes. Thank you for being transparent about that. I know that's a touchy subject with a lot of people, but I thank you for your transparency in that because a real issue right there, that's real topics we're talking about here, me of the faculty to be what the change is needed to be in that time. They sound like the people in that group not wanting to change. They was basically being blatant and saying they didn't want to change. Well, I did <laughs>
1: transferred to the University of California, Berkeley. I yeah. felt like I was in paradise, found the exact opposite kind of faculty, wow. who made sure that I finished, and by the way, have three master's degrees, not two, Yes, and yes. and then finished my PhD there.
0: There is always hope. That's there is. how I lead my life. There's
1: always
0: hope. You're right, because that door, you know, it propelled you to where you need to be. And going to the changes, I see you have uh, psychology and African-American studies. I know when I was at USC here in South Carolina, I just questioned, well, why is the African-American studies course separated from the histories department? And I had to go all the way to the other side of campus to take that course. So how was that for you teaching that course? Oh, first let me say, the graduate program
1: I was in, you mentioned ethnic studies. Yes. That's the name of it, is the Ethnic Studies Graduate Department at UC Berkeley. Okay. And it is multidisciplinary. Okay. So uh, every student, every graduate, every doctoral student has to do original research in at least three disciplines. The first is Ethnic Studies. Okay. And then the other or whatever that student is interested in. And there are faculty all across the campus from all the other disciplines that also will teach courses in the Ethnic Studies graduate program. I ended up doing original research in six disciplines because, you know, when I went back to school, I went back like a crazy person. I was so happy to be back in school and studying and learning and meeting people, and it was amazing. And so I combined Ethnic Studies with Psychology That was, you know, uh, the main other discipline, sociology, a little bit of political science, a little bit of anthropology, social welfare. And so I had some of the leading scholars in those fields at that time as my professors. I felt as though I had a lot to live up to. So when I graduated, I realized that, well, first of all, I was going to be teaching social work courses. That was primarily uh, what I wanted to do. But I also did teach psychology courses and gerontology courses and sociology courses. Great. But here's what I did, Shalina. Every course I taught, it didn't matter what they called it, yes. what they called it, yeah. I made sure I infused African, African-American, yes. history, culture, language, you name it. Yes. I made sure uh-huh. Yes and I thought that that was very important because yes. having gone through so many years of college and then grad school, I saw that the courses often offered did not include anything any information about yes. people of color, yes. not just African Americans yes. people of color generally. My experience in ethnic studies was broad. I mean those faculty yes. members made sure that we understood it isn't just African Americans but it's also Asians and native Americans. And the people we refer to as Hispanics but are very diverse themselves I mean it is a broad range of people of
0: color in this country that are being overlooked, untaught, Americans don't know
1: the history and so I was going to try to do my best my part to change that so yes. that's how it was. It was wonderful. I remember when I was teaching at North Carolina State University, and also I taught at Webster in Charleston, oh, wow. South Carolina, yeah. by the way. White students would say to me, well, I don't ha-, I'd say, what do you know about your ethnic background? And they would say, well, I don't have an ethnic background. I'm <laughs> white. And I'd say, well, you know what? <laughs> no thing. And the yes. other thing is I try to teach people to use ethnicity
0: and not race. Yes. Because
1: there is and yes. I'm not making a moral statement, yes. I'm making a biological statement. you about to preach race, now? <laughs> it's a human race. Yes. So we need to get away from that. That's yep. why my book says bi ethnic. I had a yes. bi ethnic adoption, not biracial. Yes. So It's been wonderful. I love it. Don't get me started, honey. I love, <laughs> I love to teach, first of all, and I love to
0: teach our history. Yes. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for just being so transparent about that, and it's a subject that needs to be talked about because I know for me growing up, and then I've heard, of course, stories and testimonies of just how fearful people are to just talk about it and really address it, and I love how you just broke down about your, we're going to get into it now, your book, What Are You? I imagine that probably was more so growing up, but did it continue when you was teaching, and just, I've heard so many people that I know come to me saying they've gotten that question, and I and I tell them, I said what do you mean, what are you, tell them you're a person, <laughs>
1: oh, my oh my gosh, you know, we could do a whole separate podcast <laughs> on that topic, I'm here to tell you, yeah, so even when I was a very little girl, yes. it didn't matter whether I was with my parents, who yes. obviously bi-ethnically
0: uh, married, yes.
1: or if I was with other members of the village, they might have taken me out for tea or something. Yes. Whatever. And people, white people mostly, but often African Americans, primarily white people, would stare at me. That'd be the first thing. Yes, staring and staring. Well, as I said before, I was very happy-go-lucky, friendly little girl. So I would smile at them. I'm thinking everybody loves me. So they.
0: Yeah. What are you? Oh, my gosh. How
1: do I respond to that? It depends on my mood. I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I'd be very polite yes. and answer. Other times I'd say, well, what
0: do you think? I yes. Mean, what are you
1: talking to? You know, it's, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, they still ask that question. And, yeah. you know, that's one thing. I mean, the fact that they ask the question, that's one thing. Yeah. But the other part of it, the part that annoys me, yeah. is I'll say, I'm black or I'm African American. Yeah. I never. Yeah. That's just my biological, you know, composition. Yeah. But my identity is to be black. Yeah. And I'll say, I'm black. And they'll say, no. Now I'm like, okay. Yeah. What do you mean, uh, no? And they say, no, 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 you're not black. So, uh, uh, so somebody else must be this or that or the other. Well, uh, aren't yeah. you from the Mediterranean? Aren't you Samoan? Oh, aren't you Alaskan? Gosh. Aren't you Puerto Rican? I mean, is yeah.
0: That goes back to what you were saying earlier about the biases. You know, I speak to a, a close friend of mine a lot. We talk about real subjects like this and how it's just, it's the mindset. Like uh, we've encountered students where they may not feel like their parents, the kids, we were like, well, we don't care about that. You know, they're very like free and just accepting. But then we run into people who are, they've adopted. Well, this is how my family feels. So I'm going to feel this way. It's really a renewal of the mind. As we grow in our experiences, a lot of renewal needs to take place. How we think, how we feel, just stuff we've been taught, things we've accepted. Your book or oh, What Are You? The Unfolding Story of a 1943 by ethnic adoption. I love how you put it, by ethnic All of my siblings are what people would call biracial. And so when I saw this picture and now I can say by ethnic they identify as black and I, I'm glad you basically went into that. You're saying no I'm I'm African American. When I saw your picture here on the book and listeners I want y'all to get this book. She is adorable on this picture. Reminded me of, you're welcome, reminded me of my siblings when they were younger. The picture reminds me of my little brother Stephen and my other little brother Brandon. So just hearing you talk about a real issue of people's perception and assumption of how things should be. Yes. Uh, That was a very difficult
1: journey that I had to go through. Okay. I would say, well, it started with the white classmates, first grade through seventh grade, that would, you know, make side comments. Like you said, things they learned from their parents at that point. About my color, about whatever ideas they had about black people. But then... I always had my black social life in New Haven. Milford is where I was living, but, you know, just down the road was New Haven, and my parents made sure that they maintained ties with people, with children my age, so that I would have a normal social life for our environment. And for the most part, that was Yeah problem I would help them feel open to it but if not I wasn't gonna worry about it I'm yes. who I am I look like I do
0: and that's that this book was your second what are you or was this the first yeah. one for you yes this was the second and how did guess what I'm adopted come about
1: my first book guess what I was adopted came from many years of doing therapy with couples that were Thinking of adopting, or okay. had adopted, as well as adults who were adopted but weren't told until, mm-hmm. or didn't find out until they were adults yes. that they had been adopted and they went into trauma because yes. they didn't know who they were yes. or why they were adopted or who their biological parents happened to be or what happened to them, why were they available, a lot of clinical issues. And mm-hmm. so, yes. over the years, I was storing all of this information and developing you know, some ideas about what the best step is. So that's what the book looks like. It's a children's book. It has beautiful, brightly yes. colored illustrations by someone you had interviewed, Nadine <laughs> yes. Johnson, who was my publisher, editor, and illustrator of that book. She's also my publisher and editor of the second book we just finished talking about. Yes. And in that book, I make sure that it's readable for little children, but it really has embedded messages and guidance for parents and it emphasizes the importance of telling your child that he or she was adopted and how to do it and when to do it very loving way wonderful happy thing you see the picture of the little boy on the cover of that book he's so happy he (laughs) says yes what i was adopted and he runs outside (laughs) after his parents sat down and went over it again I emphasize, you don't do it once. Yes. You do it constantly. Yes. Like my parents started doing. The one thing that's important for parents to understand, if you start telling a day-old baby that he or she is um. adopt it, <laughs> no. they don't know what no. you no. are talking about anything. But yes. it gives you some time to get your way you provide that information more securely in your mind, yes. how to say it, to be used to saying it. And also, I did therapy with those parents who had adopted but we're keeping it a secret. Yes. And I'm trying to find out why. Why why are you keeping this yes. wonderful thing a secret? And I finally realized yeah they felt bad because they hadn't been able to either conceive or hold on to a pregnancy. Yeah. And so that was the secret. Yes. It wasn't the child that they adopted a secret, yeah. it was the fact that they in their mind had to adopt. Yeah. And so I did a lot of therapy with many, many couples around, you know, stop blaming whose fault it was. It wasn't a fault. This is a wonderful thing. It gave you an opportunity to welcome a new child into your life and to provide a happy experience for that child. want to think about that, not so much about body work one way or the other Yes. Yes, yes. And at the back of that book, I have some tips from me, the psychologist. Yes. you who yes. love them, you know, raise them, <laughs> you know, but that is, uh, <laughs> you know, often what I would hear yeah. from the adoptive parents that, oh my God, I can't tell my child because then they're going to want to meet their birth mother or their birth okay. father, and then they might not want me anymore, and I'm like, only if you've been abusive, if yeah. you've been abusing that child, yeah, they might turn their back on you anyway, yeah. but no, they're not going to turn their back on me. all that love you gave them yes.
0: just because they found out
1: some biological
0: history from their birth parents. Dr. Murray, that's so, so true. And, you know, I'm so glad that you expound on that for listeners as well who are thinking about adopting or who are currently adopting, gradually telling them that because I've seen it too many times portrayed in movies and TV shows about uh, youth being adopted and then finding out that they were adopted or in foster care or whatever the case is. And then because they weren't told that information, you know, older as a teenager or whatnot, they retaliate and then go try to find the birth parents or the mother and the father and only to find that, you know, what the situation really was. Then more pain and trauma comes in. So I highly agree with what you're saying about not being afraid to gradually introduce the reality of who the child is. Listeners, I highly encourage you to look into both of these books. The first book is called Guess What? I Was Adopted. It was published on October 2019 by 123 Mango Tree in Charleston, South Carolina, by Miss Nadine Johnson, who you heard last month on the podcast and her testimony. She is the publisher, colorful and really friendly for families to look at and read, and for youth who have questions to be able to understand and comprehend. Guess what I was adopted was awarded the National Association of Multicultural Education And the acronym is NAME Award for Multicultural Children's Books. And you can find it right now via Dr. Murray. I'm going to let her give you that information before we get off. But it sells right now for $15.95 plus $2.69 in shipping. And then What Are You? And this is her memoir, her personal memoir, The Unfolding Story of a 1943 by ethnic adoption, and it's really a testimonial from Dr. June about her upbringing, just finding out about adoption and dealing with encounters of racism and real life struggles. Right now is twenty five plus two eighty nine in shipping. Dr. Murray, is it best for them to connect with you via email or phone number if they want to? Email is the best. Yes. Email is the best. Um, you can give them my email address, or I will. You can reach out to me, uh, Shalina Tate at Outlook.com. And what's a good email for you, Dr. Murray, if they want to reach out to you? My first name,
1: J-U-N-E-M-R-R-0-8 at gmail.com. I emphasize M because my last name is Murray, begins with an M-R-R. And I emphasize zero because sometimes people type in the letter O but it's the number. I'm an Alpha Kappa Alpha
0: sorority member. Okay. And we were founded <laughs> yeah. in nineteen so oh eight. So you know I have to have uh. a wait in my email address. Okay, yes, yes. Thank you, Dr. Murray. Yes. Email her at June yes. O eight at yeah. Gmail to basically network with her, communicate and then also order her books because she will you will send you the exact mailing address, make your checks payable to her, what all is entailed. Dr. Murray, before we go, because your testimony is phenomenal and I've learned a lot, as I imagine the listeners have learned so much and hopefully can take your testimony and just have a sense of hope about everything they've heard. Before we go, is there any advice you would like to give listeners, whether they themselves have been adopted or have grown up multi-ethnic or had struggles in life and wanting to find their biological parents, any advice you want to give them? First thing I would say is
1: to always love yourself. Yes. Love you- regardless of your skin color your hair texture whatever however shape your body might be in love it and don't let anybody cast any aspersions about it love yourself as an adopted person that's wonderful someone chose you and loved you and is loving you that's a beautiful thing keep that in mind love yourself as far as finding out who Your birth parents might be, if your adopted parents know, encourage them to share that information. Let them know you're not turning your back on them. You just want to know more. It's very normal, absolutely normal, to want to understand. Yes any health issues, why do I look like I do, do I have blue eyes and I'm a black person, why is that? All of those kinds of bigger and more important questions are normal and it's okay to seek answers and ask your parents who raised you to go along with you on that journey to find out the background. A lot of times the parents who adopted do not know very much about how come you were available for adoption to begin with. Yes. There are also, especially among African Americans, informal adoption.
0: Yes. That's the uh, Auntie Sue's
1: daughter got pregnant and yeah. had a baby and had to leave the baby with Auntie, but Auntie couldn't care for it. And so Cousin Belinda ended up caring for it. And yes. maybe there was never any legal arrangement, but the baby yes. grew up knowing Belinda as Mommy. Yes. Well, that is so normal in our history in America and in our homeland. So sometimes finding out who was who and what happened and then what happened is very, very difficult. But the fact of the matter is we didn't get tossed in the dumpster for the most part. We got kept. We got loved. We were raised. We were nurtured. We were cultured. And that's what you want to focus on. And so I encourage people who Find out they're adopted no matter when, to go ahead and see what you can find out about your birth parent and what happened. And be willing to forgive them yes. if you find out, you know, things that disappoint you. That's okay. They did the best they could. Uh, people ask me all the time, am I resentful about my birth mother not wanting to keep me because she, her family wouldn't accept a black child? No, because yes. she, I was lucky, she chose the most wonderful people in the whole wide world to be my parents yes how can I be resentful towards her I had a fabulous life and it was real different that would have been if I had stayed with her
0: you know she was
1: low income with this black child I wouldn't have had the enchanted life that I believe me did have so yeah find out as much as you can but always let your parents who raised
0: mom and dad. Those are high words of wisdom, Dr. Murray. That's so true testimonies. I grew in foster care. So we do question, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? But a lot of times looking back, well, for myself, I've realized that, well, that wasn't the best situation to be with family. That wasn't where I needed to be. And so when we realize those revelations, like you just said, we can grow, we can heal, we can be delivered and hopefully help someone else to do so also Dr. Murray I'm so grateful that you've taken time out of your schedule to be here today on Foster My Stories um listeners Thank you. You're welcome, listeners. Please support Dr. Murray. She has some phenomenal books that I really want you to look into and connect with her on, and reach out to network. Hopefully for opportunities, maybe some speaking engagements. Bring her to your. Uh, do you travel, Dr. Murray? Do you go speak? Oh yes. I okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Bring her to your college. Bring her to your event, your community. So. The wealth of knowledge that she has can continue to spread in your community, your homes, and your hearts. If your upbringing, community, service, or job connects you to the foster, adoption, orphan, or underserved communities, I would love to chat at Foster My Stories Central Facebook page. If you are enjoying the Foster My Stories podcast, you can check out the latest content and tune in next Wednesday at the new time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard via Red Circle Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Audible, Radio Public, and Google Podcast to check out the featured guest or previous month's recap. And remember, as always, being fostered, adopted, orphaned, or underserved simply means you're gracefully chosen.
1: Blessing all of you, uh-huh. and that you'll continue doing the work and have the open mind and yes. lo- open heart and loving approach to all that you are doing in uh-huh.
0: the community. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Murray, just for being here, and very humbled to really hear that and that support to just keep pushing forward. And so, thank you, Dr. Murray, for being here today on Foster My Stories. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Take care.